If you've ever seen an image of fluorescent cancer cells under the microscope, you may agree that it's hard to understand how something so beautiful could be so deadly. Today, we speak to a researcher who is visualizing one of the deadliest cancers in vividly beautiful detail to figure out what the cancer's weak spots are and how patients can receive the right treatment in the right amount at the right time. You're listening to Medical Minds, the podcast that takes you inside the labs at the Garvin Institute of Medical Research. I'm your host, Dr. Vivian Richter, and with me here is Professor Paul Timpson, head of the Invasion and Metastasis Lab at Garvin. Welcome, Paul. Hi, Viv. Great to be here. Paul, you are a world leader in pancreatic cancer research. You have high-profile publications, prestigious awards, and significant grants to back this up. But I heard your career in science actually started out with you dropping out of uni. Yeah, so that's true. So originally I was good at maths and physics. I was very lucky to not have to go to school on Thursdays. And I actually joined quite a geeky club called the Young Engineers Club. My school friends did not like the fact that I didn't get to go to school on Thursdays. They were all jealous and I absolutely loved competing at a very young age. So therefore engineering was my destiny and that's where I was supposed to go. I was allowed to go to university and I already was accepted to engineering very early. So I did a spare class in biology, which I loved. Once I went to university, I realised that actually engineering was not what I loved. And I think I've never been happier the day I dropped out of university and I've never looked back. Not sure my family were happy about that, but I had a vision. and I actually had to go to a completely different school to do advanced maths, advanced biology, because the university didn't think I could keep up with organic chemistry. I loved going to a different school, but I knew this was where I wanted to be. And I wanted to do biology, not to mash up plants, but to actually attack human diseases, obviously what I do now is cancer, but there was lots of diseases that I could really envisage using the biology, but accidentally the maths and the physics that I was already good at in biology. And again, you can never really escape all forms of science if you're really going to make a difference in a disease. What university did you go to? Okay, Viv, as you can tell from my accent, I am very Scottish I went to university in Glasgow, Strathclyde University, for my undergraduate. Then I studied at the Pizza Institute, or CRUK, and that's in Glasgow University itself. So, born and bred, educated in Glasgow, and then moved to Australia for some sunshine. What was it about biology that really appealed to you? I loved the idea that we could actually attack various human diseases, like cancer, for example. But I was very privileged in third year of university where I was selected to go to New York, which you can imagine would be amazing. I represented Scotland. There was someone from England, Russia, France, etc. That was three months of a very defining time in my life where I hung about with like-minded people all over America and all over Europe, etc. And really did pure actual science, not past exams, Type science. We don't know the answer to these questions. Please be part of a team to work on it. Loved that. Came back to university and instantly talked to my lecturers and said, I will be doing a PhD now, which they questioned and thought that was a little bit cocky. But after I actually showed how I really believed and wanted to do it, they could see the difference. And I think that 
sometimes it's not just how well you can pass an exam, it's actually what is your passion and how hard will you work to take that on because a PhD is not easy and actually any proper PhD doesn't have an answer, it's you that has to try and find that answer. So tell us about what you did during your PhD. So my PhD, I really got interested in how cells move. So the biggest killer in cancer, and we still know that today, is as soon as it spreads, the game is over really. So we need to understand how they spread before we can attack it. And I think that's what you said at the beginning of the podcast, which was how can something so beautiful or something that you actually appreciate work for you so you need to understand your enemy so you must actually embrace how it co-ops different mechanisms how it changes the acting cytoskeleton which is like the skeleton of an individual cell or a cancer how does it co-opt that how does it use this to actually spread throughout the body once we can understand it we can possibly see its vulnerabilities and that's what i did in my phd which is to understand how cancer spreads as a pure fundamental understanding. So why imaging? I think I love imaging because it's unbiased. Seeing is believing. We've all heard that saying, but actually quite often you just have to watch a process. We can read every textbook under the sun. We can talk to even experts and then you can actually image the process and there's always a nuance, something different something that we've missed. So my PhD, I did lots of imaging. I actually left the imaging field when I came to Garvin to do biochemistry. While I loved that, it gave me that depth of understanding of molecular pathways, but I still had to go back to what I truly loved because I didn't think I was achieving enough. And also, right at that time, there was subcellular imaging and intravital imaging and multiphoton imaging, and these were really hot topics but you could only truly learn them in three or four pockets of the world. And so luckily I got to do that. And not only that, I got to do that under the guise and protection of AstraZeneca Blue Sky Laboratory type research where they wanted to make new models of cancer rather than say the tumour is big, the tumour is small. Let's look at the molecular processes, including my favourite metastasis in the spread. And that's where I actually started learning this really advanced imaging mode and it really just opened my world up. So what can imaging tell us about cancer cells? So I've worked on multiple different pathways and I guess people call them hallmarks of cancer. One was we could actually see cancers uncoupled, detached from each other before they've actually spread. So you can imagine from a biotech or any druggable aspect Targeting something before it occurs and before that deadly spread occurs is a key aspect that we still try and um, actually attack in this disease. We work in pancreas, but we work in any cancer that would spread or actually grow. There's lots of vulnerabilities when you look inside a cancer as well, where you must admit that if you test in a Petri dish a drug, it's wonderful. When you actually look inside the real pancreas, you see hot spots where that cancer doesn't care about that drug, that cancer has not even received the drug. Others things like low or high oxygen that mean it's resistant to that drug. Once you can watch these processes, you can actually manipulate the blood vessels, the oxygen content, the drug delivery, and you can overcome these things and we can really start to 
look at why stuff doesn't work in the real tumour and it still works in the Petri dish. I'm not against the Petri dish. We still need to understand things there and the fundamentals need to be there, but we need to go to a higher fidelity model to actually start understanding why our drugs work and why they don't. And I think all models add up and that's where the kind of biochemistry I did before, the imaging I did at AstraZeneca and the current work that we do now all add up and every single project involves multiple expertise to actually ask and answer one question. And quite often you have to ask the question because sometimes no one's even dared ask the question yet. Paul, you specialise in pancreatic cancer. Can you tell us why it's such a difficult cancer to treat and what your hope is for turning the dial? This disease was ignored. And 10, 15 years ago, there was not many people working on it. Gratefully, lots of people now realise this is a major problem. There was unmet number of researchers working in this area. Once people are diagnosed with pancreatic cancer, they're often already metastatic. And so we need to not ignore the, this metastasis, which is exactly what we're trying to do. 80% of those patients have already got local invasion and we need to actually stop that spread. So that's the first difficulty. Maybe the first difficulty before the first that I just discussed is that diagnosis of pancreatic cancer is very difficult. The symptoms are very generalised and we actually very often present with that metastatic disease. And so I think that early detection, something that we don't specialise in yet and we should, and we will move to that, and many of the community are already going there. If we can get earlier detection, we may actually twist and change that dial. For decades, we were always thinking about the cancer cell and not actually the surrounding environment. So the simple and crazy idea that we said was, ignore the cancer cell first. Let's not attack with a hammer and a nail with chemotherapy. What can we understand about its environment that it's created? And it's a highly dense fibrotic environment where drugs cannot penetrate, where the blood vessels are collapsed. So by simply softening the tumour, we can actually open those blood vessels, change that dense fibrotic tissue, and then improve that chemotherapy. So it's a kind of one-two punch attack rather than trying the same thing over and over again and hitting our head against the wall. Thinking outside the box, but maybe thinking outside the box means thinking outside the cancer cell, right? You just mentioned fibrotic tissue there. Can you tell us what that is? And I heard that you were actually involved in discovering its crucial role in pancreatic cancer. So fibrotic tissue, I guess in the simplest way, is the cancer cell itself co-opts the surrounding tissue and creates and lays down lots of things like collagens, etc., to actually make the surrounding tissue very hard, very dense, closes off the ability for us to actually even drug the cancer. So if the cancer can't see the drug, what hope do we have? And many, many years ago, and it's wonderful work where we looked and sequenced cancers, including pancreatic cancer, we used to throw away this fibrotic tissue called fibroblasts because they were seen as a contaminant. But unfortunately, what we were doing was throwing away half of the problem. Now, that was the correct thing to do then. But now what we've done with my colleagues at the Garvin is we've actually focused in on this fibrotic dense tissue. 
And we still understand that we need to attack the cancer, but we need to attack this other half of the problem. And sometimes it's a simple thing like, what did we throw away was where the new targets are. And that's exactly where we're focusing now, to target key molecules that are driving that fibrotic tissue, softening that tissue, and then we will attack the cancer. So now we're attacking both sides of the problem. So when we take a patient sample, for example, we will take that sample, we'll smash it up, and we'll put it through a machine called a fax sorter, and we will only look for the epithelial cells, which would be the cancer cells, and everything else we were throwing away. We actually use that exact same protocol to identify the cells we were throwing away to now actually purify that part of the problem. So it wasn't all lost. It just took us a while to realise that maybe we've missed this and let's go back. And that's great. And that's a key thing to be a scientist is, and I said this before, real science, there isn't an answer. There's not a correct answer. And you definitely need to get used to being wrong. Being wrong is probably the most important thing about being a scientist because you will go back. If you're a proper scientist, you go back, you fix, or you attack that problem. That's what you did, and that work has actually led to clinical trials in pancreatic cancer patients. I still don't believe when you say that. We've got a long way to go. With my colleague, Manir Pajic, Tom Cox, and many, many other wonderful scientists that are at the Garvin, we actually went back and actually attacked that problem. And so that's led to multiple different clinical trials to co-target the environment, or prime, we call it, the environment, before we give that chemotherapy. And we've done that in various models, from the Petri dish to three-dimensional models to more advanced models and in patient samples. And it looks very exciting, and it's now been tested in Australia and in multiple different countries to see if we can actually change the dire response rates in this disease. Paul, tell us about this clinical trial. What treatment are you investigating specifically? So there's multiple trials. They all have a kind of key fundamental aspect. We'll test genetically first whether there is a treatment for a specific patient sample or a patient. Once we can find that, that's wonderful. We'll try that. But if we don't, we give antifibrotic treatments to soften those tumours, improve drug delivery, and actually improve chemotherapies. So that fibrotic tissue is created by the fibroblasts that surround the cancer, contracting, closing in. You can imagine that dense kind of fibrotic tissue. If we can just release that, we do not want to completely release that because it could cause a problem as well. The other one is to actually look at the feedback between the cancer cell and how it tells those fibroblasts to behave so there's a hierarchy in cancer where the cancer cell tells the fibroblasts what to do, the fibroblasts obey, and we just want to uncouple those aspects. That's a very simplified version of it, but ultimately that's what we're trying to do. And we'll do this not only with chemotherapies, but we will in the future try and use this to maybe improve the ability of immunotherapies to attack this traditionally cold cancer. So cold meaning immunological term, the immune system is not seeing that tumour. So if we can allow the immune system to see it, 
that would also be wonderful and that's kind of where we're going maybe in the next five to ten years. And I think that I started my research group ten years ago. It was around four to five percent survival rate then. And that was stagnant. That stayed like that for the previous thirty to forty years, which was embarrassing. I actually used to write that as my favourite sentence in a grant, but I was also embarrassed as a human being and a scientist to keep writing that for year after year after year. We've changed that now. It's now around 11 to 12%. People listening will think that's pathetic. But if you actually look where we were 10 years, and I do think we will improve it exponentially now because there's so many people working on so many angles. So that's my hope for the future. And again, your pancreas is important. It's not like a heart. We don't associate it with love. But, you know, if it doesn't work, we're in trouble. Paul, take us inside your microscopy lab. Tell us about what imaging you do. Take us inside the mind of a madman, I think, is what you actually (laughs) asked. Yeah, so it was a big deal for the Garvin to take me on because they actually had to purchase a multi-photon microscope. So this microscope is rare. It's super expensive. Ten years ago, it was a million dollars. And they've now helped purchase much more than that. And we've had unbelievable funding from people like ACRF, for example, to expand upon the one microscope. We now have an entire centre looking at different types of cancers. We can look really fast. We can look really deep. But what does that actually mean in terms of a cancer? So I guess there's two aspects to that. There are these gold standard mouse models which have the exact genetic mutations that we typically would find in a human patient. They take over a year to create the tumour and a high fidelity model. So it mimics as close as we possibly can what that tumour looks like. We then look inside that tumour at various stages of the disease. And again, this fibrotic tissue I was talking about before, we can individually watch cancer cells at the single cell resolution and then even go sub-cellular to actually watch how we can break away that dense fibrotic tissue and we can see when we've gone too far. We actually can say less is more sometimes and we can actually fine-tune, not to completely ablate or take away that fibrotic tissue but to manipulate it such that you can actually see those collagens, you can actually see that dense kind of matrix surrounding a tissue that almost looks like a cage protecting the cancer. We can actually see that at the single cell level. We can see our drugs working at the sub-cellular level. We can actually watch the molecules switching on and off. And the pharmaceutical and biotech sector absolutely love to see this in real time. So what do I mean by real time? Quite often we used to take photographs, so you have snapshots. It's like watching a movie, but you're only allowed to see four photos from the movie. You have no chance of knowing what's happening during that movie. We just watch the entire process. We then give drugs, and we see that matrix fall apart. We see those cells respond, but then we see that we've given too much, right? And again, I keep saying hammer and nail. Less is more sometimes, and so we can actually watch when it's enough 
when the cancer is responding, when that matrix is falling apart, and when those cells start to die on an individual level. So we can see areas where they were resistant now becoming responsive, and then we can actually do this over time. Multiple times, multiple patients, different patients respond to different doses. And again, we can actually start to watch how much is enough and start to make signatures of which patient would respond to this exact drug and which ones wouldn't. Again, it comes back to signs of admit which ones you cannot help. Admit the signs that you cannot yet do, yet be the operative word. But we can actually say this section, this 15% we can treat with this amount of drug. And so by fine-tuning that, or what we call normalizing it back to what it used to be like deep inside a normal pancreas, not deep inside a pancreatic tumour. Paul, when you're doing this imaging, I'm sure you're busy checking that the right cells are in focus, that you're measuring the time points correctly, that everything is calibrated properly. But do you ever just feel a sense of wonder when you look down the microscope? Can I tell the truth? I'm not allowed in the microscope room anymore. (laughs) And all the scientists in the group are there, but I still absolutely love those images. I wait in bated breath to actually see them because they sometimes often come from your mind about what does that look like? What would it really look like? And I think the best way, and I think we talked about it before, is you need to take yourself out of your own body, be inside that tumour and wonder what it's like in there. And quite often you see that cancer cell bending interacting with that fibroblast, interacting with that surrounding tissue and starting to move, then it becomes really alive when it starts to move because you're making movies and you're watching that entire process. The even greater aspect is when you actually give the drug that you thought could change that. More often than not, it doesn't work, but when it works, it's absolute beautiful proof and you actually show it off to every person on the street and anyone that walks past your lab <laughs> because you want to show them, I told you so, look at this, right? I've never said I told you so more than once or twice in my entire life. Again, being wrong is great, but and again, we're still learning what we don't know. Once we had a movie where we could just see, if you imagine you're on a beach and you take a photo of someone and there's just a blur in the background, like a bicycle was cycling by. People used to ask me, what's that? And I went, it ruined my experiment. But it turns out that that was the immune system. It was just too fast. And so we've learned what we couldn't see. And we're now going deeper and faster. And we're now actually able to see that. But currently, what we can see is absolutely amazing. And I never, ever thought that an image would take me to a clinical trial. So it's something that, I'll always remember, and I'll always remember that image, and it's kind of ingrained into my brain that that was the image that created the next stage, which we're always here as part of that jigsaw, but actually to be able to pinpoint the beautiful image that created, hopefully, the beautiful trial. And again, it's an iterative process. We need to take that trial and go back and say, why did it work and why did it not work for these patients? What's next for your research, Paul? We've actually moved to become, this is the hardest thing in science, unbiased. 
So quite often if you're thinking about fibrosis that we've talked about, even still we know molecules and targets that would be involved in that. So it's relatively easy to go after those targets or to talk to various companies to say, can you target this properly? But I think what we've talked about before was we only thought about the cancer cell and we've only touched the tip of the iceberg for what's actually out there in the what's called the fibrosis or the matrix, right? I think there's a reservoir of brand new untapped targets out there and that's exactly what we're doing now and that's where we see the future, which is to go after those patients with completely different what we call molecular signatures of what is wrong with their matrix that causes this fibrosis. And while we've targeted that, I think there is thousands upon thousands of new targets out there and it's a lifetime of work to map them, create the landscape for my team and other teams all over the world to attack these individually, sequentially, at the same time. You can see it can go on and on. But unbiased targeting of new, unfound cancer research targets is where we want to go and that's where I would like to be in the future and for many other cancers as well. That's something we haven't touched upon. Quite often we will take targets from other diseases and I'm not talking just about cancer, repurpose them to pancreas cancer but at the same time it's our duty to find new targets in this disease and open that up for other highly fibrotic cancers such as breast cancer for example. We need to work as a massive unit. Do you think we'll see a cure for pancreatic cancer one day? That's a difficult question. That's the same question that every taxi driver asks you. And my answer is, for some, yes. For others, we want to be able to manage a disease such that you don't die of it. You may actually die with it. That sounds like a negative, but right now, that's in the forefront or on the horizon. And I think that we should aim for that and then we will move to the stage where we hope to eradicate it. Otherwise, I wouldn't go to work every day. Paul, it's time to get to know you a little bit better. It's time for the Fast Five. Favourite movie? Back to the Future. I can watch it ten times in a row and I still feel like I'm eight years old. I'm still kind of waiting for the hovercraft to be real. (laughs) (laughs) What's the most challenging thing you've ever had to do? Jump out of an aeroplane on my own with a parachute and no one attached to me. I'm still scarred from it. I had to jump out where you were. Parachute was attached to the aeroplane, but you jump on your own. And if the parachute doesn't open, you have seven seconds to get the second one. And even when it does open, you still have to direct yourself across fields in Stirling, Scotland. As much as I loved it, I don't think I should be given that responsibility again. What's been your best holiday? Japan. Love Japan. Actually, I gave a talk in Japan and my high school mates came and met me. We went to the Rugby World Cup. It was like another world. And again, you're starting to see a theme. It brought me back to being young and at school. So Japan. Is there anything you're afraid of? Being alone. I'm actually far too social. And yeah, I would hate be in a room on my own. What's your favourite meal? My favourite meal is 
Do you know what Hogmanay is in Scotland? That's New Year's Eve here. My mum makes a stew with puff pastry and mushy peas. That's my favourite meal, plus a can of iron brew from Scotland. Sounds perfect. Professor Paul Timpson, thanks for joining us on Medical Minds. It's great to be here and thank you for having me. If you'd like to know more about Paul's research or donate to the work we do at Garvin, head to garvin.org.au. And if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review and share with other podcast lovers. I'm Dr. Vivian Richter. Thanks for listening. This podcast was recorded on the traditional country of the Gadigal people of the Aora Nation. We recognise their continuing connection to land, waters and community. We pay our respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures and elders, past, present and emerging.